This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm a recovering sexaholic, and I have been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I'm super excited that you are here listening to episode 14. Today, we're going to continue with part two of our introduction to the 30 Days of Talking Back Challenge. So first, I need to start with a big shout out to one of our listeners who informed me that the mailing list on the website, the mailing list sign up, isn't working. She was signing up, but she was never getting the information. So I am so, so very sorry about that. I somehow messed with those settings after I had tested it. So if you did go on the website and you did join the 30-day challenge, but you didn't get anything from me this week then I'm really sorry, but you need to do it again. I'm a, I'm a one-man show over here, and I didn't quite get all those settings done correctly, but I've tested it multiple times now, and you are good to go. So go to the website, www.worthrecovery.com, and join the email list for the 30-day Talking Back Challenge. Joining the mailing list will give you free access to additional information, resources, and extra worksheets on how to talk back. Also, I'll be sharing the success of others along the way. Even if you're listening to this after the initial challenge of April 2016, you'll want to get on the website and join the waiting list for the next challenge. And even if you're male, I know I have some male followers out there, which is totally awesome. Join the list. You'll learn a lot as we go along. So thanks again to our listener who helped me understand that the mailing list wasn't working. I'm sorry, but please go back on and join so you can get those additional worksheets and information. So just kind of to refresh your memory here, right? Episode 12, Talking Back Part 1, I told the story of how I first started affirmations or talking back statements, like I like I like to call them that. We discussed the four-phase process that I go through to write affirmations for maximum impact. Remember, talking back statements are not for the faint of heart. These are not wimpy statements that we make to try to feel better. These are battle cries. We are going to war with the negative and shaming voices in our own head, but also in the world around us. Because even if we didn't have negative shaming voices in our head, they are all around us as women, all around us. These talking back statements are our declaration to the world of who we are, what we want, and what we stand for. I know from experience that weak statements don't work. If I feel silly saying them, they don't work for me. If they feel small and wimpy, they don't work for me either. They have to like push me. They have to feel just outside of my reach. That is why it is so essential that we write our own individual personalized statement. What works for me will mostly not work for you. It might, but it might not. But I have found that the more ownership we have over these statements, the more likely we are to commit to them, to read them, and to internalize them. And that's why you can't just buy someone else's statements or use someone else's statements or download them off the internet. It's more effective and more impactful when you write your own. So I want to do a real quick 
review of the four phases for those of you just joining us maybe. You can download these in their descriptions on the website. Um, they're attached to episode 12. So phase one. Phase one was about enemy identification. In order for your talking back statements to have maximum impact, you need to know the exact argument or statement you are fighting with. Your chances will skyrocket if you can aim at a specific target. Your first step to declaring war on the negative shaming voices in your head is to identify the enemy, the control statements. These are the statements that you think or say to yourself that cause the most damage. They might scare you, they might paralyze you, and they'll convince you to not take action in your life. They are usually the ones that you say over and over and over and over and over and over again to yourself. Identify them as specifically and accurately as possible. This is what we worked on in episode 12. I gave you a detailed description of how I identify these control statements in my own life. I hope you did it because then you'll have something to work with today as we go on. Phase two. Phase two is threat level assessment. This is where we classify the control statements into four categories, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. You will find that the battle is heaviest in one or maybe a few specific areas of your life. Experience shows that focusing the battle will raise the chances of success. You want to classify your statements into one of four categories. Pick two categories to focus your efforts on. These will become your battlegrounds. Spend time brainstorming how you want to feel about yourself in each of these categories. We're going to discuss this a lot further today in just a minute. Let's finish our summary real quick. Phase three is attack plan design. We're also going to focus on this one today too. Now that you know your two focus areas, you need to design your attack strategy. Identify two to three control statements in each area. What is the opposite of that statement? What is it that you want to believe about yourself in this area? Carefully craft a talking back statement for each one. Write these statements in present tense. Write as though you're experiencing them right now. Write as though this is how you feel presently. Start your statements with I am or my. If you're stumped, search the internet and read examples, but design and write your own statements. They work better if you write your own, I promise. And phase four, this is what we're going to work on in episode 16, that's our next one in the series, is called Digging the Trenches. Trench warfare is about longevity. When soldiers dug trenches, they knew they were going to be there for a long time. It symbolized commitment and dedication. It symbolized an iron will to hold your ground. It symbolized your willingness to go to any length to win. Digging the Trenches is about your commitment level. This is the phase where you design your routine. You decide how and when you're going to execute your plan. You make the commitment. You share it with others. You put it on your calendar. You set an alarm on your phone. You decide, you commit, and you make it happen, no matter what. As I worked through this again this past week, I was incredibly grateful for two things. First, the enemy and control statements that affect me now are light years away from the early ones. Some of my early ones were dark and included things like, I am always alone. I will always be alone. No one loves me. I'm not worthy of acceptance or love. I am ugly and not lovable. What I have done in my addiction makes it impossible for people to like me. And the world would be better if I didn't exist. I was never suicidal in that I never had a plan to, to carry out. But I was definitely okay with dying in my sleep or some tragic car accident or just somehow ceasing to exist. The hope that I had for life was gone 
and I was ready for it to be done. That was the route I was hoping for. I would fantasize sometimes about driving off a cliff, just giving up at life. It was dark. As I worked through it this week, my statements felt much, much different to me. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. I'll share them with you in just a minute. The second thing I'm grateful for is that as I sat with that question, the second question, what do I want to believe about myself? My mind ran wild. I was filled with hope. The last time I worked through this, I couldn't even sit in that space for three minutes. I would come up with answers like, I don't know. Or I would try and list things I wanted to believe and found myself saying negative things every time. It was sad. I would cry because I couldn't even think of things I wanted to believe about myself. It was incredibly sad for sure. But this time, this time was a totally different experience. I could come up with exactly what I wanted to believe about myself. And each time I completed the three minutes, I felt like I stood taller. I felt like I was shedding some of those negative things already and I hadn't even declared war yet. I'm just so grateful for the changes I've seen in my own life and my own capabilities that have all come as a result of recovery and working recovery. Okay, so today's focus is on phase two and three, threat level assessment, an attack plan design. Hopefully you're showing up today with your homework done. If not, go ahead and listen. It will help you. But you also need to go back, listen to episode 12 and do your homework and then come back and listen again because these episodes are all about action and they build on each other. So you'll want to make sure that you've got that homework done from episode 12. But let's go on. Phase two. Phase two, threat level assessment. Maybe from listening to some of the things I've done in my recovery, you get the impression that I go big or I go home. That is true for sure when it comes to changing my behavior. I'm one of those people where a little change in behavior is not necessarily sustainable. A big, huge change seems to work better for me. However, I've learned that that is not true when it comes to mindset shifting or changing my thinking, at least for me. It might be different for you. When I tried at first to attack every negative thought in my head, it was way too overwhelming. I couldn't do it. It resulted in the shifting inside that was just too small for it to feel like it was making a difference. And so after some trial and error, I decided to focus on two areas at a time. And that is what we do in the threat level assessment phase. Using the data we collected from phase one, we assess the threat level in the four major areas of our life physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. This is how I do it, okay? First, I take the five lists that I have, one for each day that I worked on for phase one, right? So we did that for five days, I have five lists. I categorize each statement, writing a P, E, M, or S next to the statement, right? Physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual. What area of my life is that statement limiting? Some of them feel like it might limit me in two categories, and so for those, I put two letters next to them. That's fine. Once every single statement has been categorized, even if you wrote the same thing down on three different days, you still count it three different times, you add them all up. Once you've categorized each statement, you add them up. Add up how many statements you had in each category. This time around for me was really, really different than what I've done before. But I had 15 statements under the physical, 14 statements under the emotional, eight for mental, and zero under under spiritual. 
Now, remember I've done this several times. That is not what my numbers look like at the beginning. I wish I had those earlier lists and I would tell you exactly what they were, but I don't. But I know that there, at the first, there were many, many, many more statements. I listed 15 or more each time I sat down. They came easily into my thoughts and I could write them down quickly and easily. Also, there were a lot more in the mental and the spiritual side. Cause that's, but that's definitely where I've done the most work so far in my recovery. I felt at that time, I really felt like God hated me, was ashamed of me, and that I wasn't worthy of anything from him. I've done a lot of work in my relationship with my higher power and feel that it is in a really solid, solid place. But that's not how it was at the beginning. For my numbers, it's very plain that my focus areas need to be physical and emotional. And that's not a surprise to me. I've been working on those areas in therapy and know that they are weak for me. What are your areas? Maybe you seem pretty even across the board. That's okay. But still pick two. Pick two areas to focus on. I, I'm a data junkie. You know that. I like using the data to drive my decisions. So I was surprised at the beginning of how weak I was spiritually when I believed I was so strong. Using the data helped point that out to me. So whatever they are for you, pick the two areas that you need the most work. Okay? Now, once you have those areas decided on, this is the second part, and this is the fun part for me. Take two sheets of paper, one for each area, and brainstorm what you want to feel like in that area of your life. I wrote the fo- I write the focus area at the top, but really you can do this however it works for you. Um, you will get a worksheet if you're on the mailing list. You'll get a worksheet of how I do mine, but again, you can do it however it works for you. On the top, I usually write the focus area. Down the left side, I start with writing a list of adjectives. How do I want to feel in this area of my life? So again, my two focus areas are physical and emotional. So here was my list of adjectives. My physical adjectives are capable, mindful, dedicated, strong, confident, successful, attractive, healthy, light, pain-free, accepting, loving, fit, and clear. So that was my list of adjectives that I came up with. I love them. I love even just reading them again. My emotional adjectives were these. Whole, complete, worthy, authentic, confident, successful, abundant, purposeful, stable, fulfilled, and connected. Notice that these are not a list of things I will be. It doesn't say I will weigh 150 pounds and be a size four. It doesn't say I will be perfect or handle a situation perfect. It doesn't say I'm going to rescue someone or I'm going to get married. This is a list of things of how I want to feel in these areas of my life. And I think that is an important distinction. If we attach our happiness or our success to specific accomplishments or to a number on a scale, we are never ever likely to achieve that. And if we do, it will be unfulfilling. I can feel successful even when I'm not necessarily being, quote unquote, being successful according to what I think success looks like. We're focusing these statements on how I want to feel in that area. We'll get to what we want to be in that area eh, along, along the way. But it's more important, I feel like, to really focus, especially in these war and talking back statements, on how I want to feel in that area. Once I have my adjective list, 
I try to think of a time in my life when I felt this way. Maybe it was a whole period of time, but maybe it was only a brief moment when I felt that way about my life, when these adjectives accurately described how I was feeling. Physically, I thought about this memory I have from high school. It's just a fleeting moment. I didn't really like high school. Not at all, really. And I was a band geek, and so that meant I pretty much had to go to summer school every year because to get enough credits because I had to take band during during the regular year. Anyway, I have this memory. It's in summer school, I, I think. I'm walking down the hallway. I had just finished PE class and was totally impressed with my abilities that day. I think we were playing basketball. I'm pretty sure it was basketball. And we were playing with the boys. And I had even like impressed the boys with my ability to shoe and block. In my backpack, I had a water bottle, a pear, and a string cheese. For some reason, I really definitely remember that. And I was wearing, I think it was like a semi-new outfit. And I just had this all-around feeling of confidence. Like I was capable and successful that morning in PE and that made me feel strong. I was mindful and I was eating healthy things. I was prepared. I was taking care of myself. I felt light. I felt accepting of who I was. And even though I was a little bit overweight at that time in my life, I still felt attractive, fit, and confident as I walked to English class. The memory is crystal clear for me. Seriously, crystal clear. This one brief moment walking down the hallway. I wrote about it on my paper. Just having that memory of, I have felt this way before. I know that this is possible. I have felt this way before. Okay, and then the last part of the paper, I collect images that help me focus on how I want to feel, kind of like a vision board. This isn't always necessary and I don't always do it, but sometimes I do and when I do, I have found it to be really helpful. You can draw these images if you prefer, but please do be careful here, okay? Images of photoshopped unrealistic women or men aren't going to help you feel good about yourself. One of the words I picked is capable because right now, if people ask me to go like water rafting with them or hiking with them, I I wouldn't feel capable of doing those things. So I found pictures of things I want to be doing, hiking, swimming, rafting. Again, the focus here is images that will help you feel good, excited, not discouraged or shameful, not unrealistic. Images can be incredibly powerful, so be careful, but have a lot of fun. They can be powerful. They can be really powerful, and it can really be helpful. And there you have it. Phase two, complete, right? So we did our threat level assessment, we picked our two focus areas, and then we created kind of our one page on how we want to feel in that particular area. Done, complete. Do it for each of your focus areas. It might take a few days for each one, and that is perfect. Or maybe you sit down and do it all in one shot. That's totally fine too, that's what I did. But whatever works for you is the way to do it. If you've joined the mailing list, like I said, I'm going to email you my worksheet that I use for mine, Um, but you can do it however you want. You can do it just on an eight and a half by 11, or you can do it on a big poster if you want. It really helps you focus your thoughts in this particular area and to create that idea of how I want to feel in that area. Okay. So once we're done with phase two though, right? Now we've got phase three. Woohoo. Okay. Phase three. Phase three is where we design our talking back statements. We call this our attack plan design. 
we have our focus areas, and now we need to take our control statements from phase one. These are the statements that showed up most often in our writing, the recurring themes. I try to pick two to three statements for each of my focus areas. I'm going to focus on emotional in this example as we go together, but realize that you're going to do this with each focus area. Okay, so emotionally, these are the two statements that I picked. One, people like me in spite of and not because of who I am. And number two, I can never make up for the damage I created in the world with my addiction. So I'm struggling with a few areas emotionally in my life right now, if you can't tell. First, this feeling that all I can do is try and lessen the damage I caused and not actually contribute to the world in a positive, meaningful way. I hate it. It's this feeling like I'm always lacking. And second, I'm fighting with this powerful, faulty core belief that people feel sorry for me and pretend to be my friends, but don't really like who I am. This feeling like they, this, this is a feeling like they like me in spite of and not because of who I am, like I'm their service project or something. It's the same underlying feeling of lack or scarcity. It's a deficit mindset and not one of abundance. This feeling like I am always operating at a deficit and trying to make up for who I am and what I've done. I really, really do hate it. And that is one of the reasons I'm so excited to be doing this. I am ready to go to war with my deficit mindset for sure. Okay, I've picked my two enemy statements. Now it's time to write talking back statements. And this is the process that I go through. I take each statement individually one by one and I do the same process. So we're going to start with this one statement. People like me in spite of and not because of who I am. So step one, I ask myself, is this true? In order for it to be true, I have to come up with five examples of where I know for a fact that this is true. Not just think that it is true, not just kind of sort of have an example, but a true example, okay? Is this true? If it's true, you can think of five sure examples. So is this statement true for me? No, <laughs> it's not even close to true. It's not at all true. In fact, I have many, many examples to the contrary. In this particular case, I also asked someone specifically about it, someone whose opinion I value and who was part of my life when I developed this faulty core belief as an early, early teen. He gave me plenty of examples to the contrary. This statement is not true, nor has it ever been true, yet I still fight with it all of the time. Okay, so not true. That was step one, right? Is it true? In my case, this is not true. I would bet in your case, it's not true either. Step two is time to write a talking back statement. This is, again, this is how I do it, okay? I do this by thinking of one of my very best friends coming to me and asking me if this is true about herself. So in this case, I thought of one of the dearest friends that I have. And I thought about her coming. I, I tried to visualize it. I thought about her coming and asking me, Amy, this is how I feel. Is this true? And so I wrote her a response, usually five or six sentences. It's the things that I would say to her. And this is, this is what I wrote. Megs, that is totally not true. 
You are fun, you're cheerful, you're accepting, and you're thoughtful. People seek you out because of your kind and giving nature. I know many people who admire you and want to spend time with you because of your realness, your wisdom, and your insights. Me included. I love spending time with you. They love that you are quick to laugh and you're not afraid to cry. By being yourself, you give them permission to be who they are. And that is an incredible gift. She really is that amazing. And I love her for it more than I can say. They say, whoever they is, I've read this multiple times though, that each of us is the average of the five people that we spend the most time with, right? So if this is one of my best friends and I spend the most time with her, then what I'm saying to her is also a reflection of myself. So I turn this around and I point it at me and I say, Amy, that is totally not true. I am fun, cheerful, accepting, and thoughtful. People seek me out because I am my kind and giving nature. I know many who say they admire me and want to spend time with me because of my realness, my great wisdom, and my insights. People love that I am quick to laugh and I am not afraid to cry. By being myself, I give them permission to be who they are. And that is a great gift. Wow. Wow. Just reading that again feels so powerful to me. I want to believe that about myself. I want that to be my lived reality. But I have a hard time staying there. I have a hard time sitting with it for very long. So I take that. I take that statement, right? And I whittle it down to just a few sentences that start with I am because I want to be present and talk about how I am right now. Not what I will be, not what I wish to be, not what I want to be, but what I am. And I add some of the adjectives from my list in phase two. This is what I have. I am fun, cheerful, accepting, and worthy. I am quick to laugh and I am not afraid to cry. People seek me out because of my authenticity, wisdom, and insights. Being confident in my true self gives others permission to do the same. That is what I want to believe about myself. I want that to be my default thinking instead of people pretend to like me. I read it over and over and over again. I let it sink in. If it doesn't feel right or if I need to make adjustments to certain words, I change it. I'm not afraid to do that. They're my sentences. I work on it for a few days, making sure that every single word feels right coming out of my mouth. I say it out loud over and over and over again. I practice and practice and practice and practice before declaring war. I go through this process with each of my control statements in my two focus areas. I write out what I would say to a friend. I literally picture the friend coming to my house and sometimes I use their name. I turn it around on myself. I feel the power that comes in saying those things to myself. Then I whittle it down, I add my adjectives, and I carefully practice and hone it until it feels right and real, and I have an emotional response to it. It feels powerful. It doesn't feel silly or trite, but it feels big and expansive and empowering. It feels right. I read it. I look at my images. Do they coordinate? Does it feel right? When I look at these images and I read it out loud, are they congruent? Does it make me want to change? In this case, it absolutely does. And this is the power of talking back, right? This is the power. Do it. 
Spend each day for the next week talking back, carefully crafting your statements. Think about how you want to feel. If you get stuck, try it again. Sometimes it takes a few tries, especially at the beginning. If you're really stuck, email me, amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com. But whatever you do, don't give up. Try it. Try it again. In episode 16, we will conclude the Talking Back series with phase four, Digging the Trenches. We will discuss how you're going to dig your trenches and how the 30-day challenge exactly will work and the different recognition and the different way that we're going to have to interact because we're going to have a way to all interact together. I'm so excited. Okay, are you ready to go to war? Because I am. I am ready. I really, really hope you're joining me. Remember to get on the website, download the overview worksheets. If you want the individual phase worksheets, you'll need to join the Talking Back mailing list. If you've tried once, again, I'm sorry. Try again, I promise, okay? I promise it's working. You'll know it worked because you received an email with me with additional link to worksheets, okay? And if you don't get that email, then write to me directly, amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com, and I'll get them set out to you. As always, I want you to know, I really, really hope that you know that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel right now in this moment, no matter the ugly shaming voices in your head, you are worth recovery. You are worth the fight. You are worth the war. 100% worth it. Keep it up. Okay, one day at a time, but keep it up. I think about you, I pray for you, I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.